I'm here in Capital One Arena on an historic night. <laughs> the night of Jan Mahimi's first three-pointer. Who cares about the score of the game? Who cares about what's going on in the world? We're going to talk about Jan Mahimi's first three-pointer. The Wizards also won a basketball game. They destroyed the Cavs, who were on the second night of a back-to-back, 119-95. to uh, All the numbers were down because guys didn't play a lot of minutes because of the blowout. I mean, Dwight played 19 minutes, but he had 10-7. and seven. Beal had 20 points in 28 minutes. John Wall didn't shoot well, but I thought played very well, kind of did everything else, had nine assists, five rebounds in 21 minutes. Uh, great bench play tonight. I mean, everybody really, for the most part, played well. They just destroyed the Cavs the whole game. Uh, I'm Fred Katz. I cover the Wizards for The Athletic, and I'm the host of Wizards After Dark, and I'm here tonight with Chase Hughes, who covers the Wizards. is now a second-time guest, the first yes. two-time guest on here. Recurring guest. I, I feel honored. Yeah. Covers the Wizards for NBC Sports. Um, can we just talk about Jan? Yeah, I mean, where else would we start? Uh, Jan Mahimi, this is something that we've all kind of been waiting for, those of us that cover the team, because at the end of every practice, we don't see much. But what we do see when they let us in there for the 15 minutes that they're supposed to is we sh- see guys hitting free throws, and we see Jan Mahimi going around the horn, hitting threes just about every day, right? It's him, Jason yeah. Smith, and usually a third guy. Sometimes it's Troy Brown. Sometimes um, Otto. I think, yeah, yesterday it was Otto Porter. And Mahimi's three in practice looks good. It's smooth. It looks like a guy who has hit at least a few threes in his career. But here he was in his 11th season. I calculated all the games, including playoffs. This was his 623rd game. He had uh, attempted 11 threes, including the the one in the first quarter, because this was his second three attempt. Three attempt, but he finally got his first career three pointer to go down. We'd seen it in the preseason as well, but uh, you know, credit to him. He's 32 years old, I believe. Uh, it's his 11th season. Had never done it before. And the game has completely changed for big men over the course of his career since he gotten in in 2007. I don't think he's all of a sudden a stretch five or a spread five or whatever you want to call it. But uh, it was a fun moment in the locker room for sure. I think tonight is the night that the NBA changed forever. <laughs> and I say that both ironically and not ironically. Ironically for the obvious reasons. And not ironically because of what you just said. Like, Jan Mahimi was the ultimate. That dude gets dunks if he even catches the pass right? and will never venture more than four inches from the basket. And if he does, it's just to set a screen somewhere else for somebody else. And that's it. And like now Jan is spreading to the corner. Sadoransky told me after the game that he was laughing on the bench because they had a fast break and Jan, instead of like going in the dunkers position, just spread to the corner on the fast (laughs) break. And he said he just started laughing and he said to me, uh, he thinks he's a shooter now. Yeah. Well, the the way the play came together, Jan described it like John was like, go to the corner. And if you watch the replay, John dribbles to the elbow to kind of collapse the defense and it was all set up. It was all like a design play for Jan to shoot a three. And he looked comfortable doing it, didn't he? Yeah, he totally looked comfortable. He shot it in rhythm. It's just what's crazy to me about the NBA, and NBA players often amaze me with how good they are at basketball. Shocker, I know. But, like, <laughs> people who don't what a cover – take. Wow. <laughs> no, people who don't – people who cover the NBA know what I mean by that. And I think big NBA fans know what I mean by that. But there's this like contingent of casual NBA fans who are like, oh, I can beat Brian Scalabrini, and then they play Brian <laughs> Scalabrini, and they just get destroyed by Brian Scalabrini because right. he's an NBA player. I don't think the average NBA fan realizes how unbelievable NBA players are at basketball, like how much better they are 
than not just like random dudes in gyms, like how much better they are from good college players. Like, and how much better good college players are from random dudes in gyms. Like, I don't think the average fan appreciates how unbelievably good these guys are. And I think one of the crazy things about NBA players that we've really seen in recent years, like Brooke Lopez, for example, who's just a back-to-the-basket guy for like eight years of his career and is a back-to-the-basket seven-footer, and then give him like a year or two, and all of a sudden Brooke Lopez like hit eight threes the other night. Like these guys are so skilled, and like Jan Mahimi, Brooke Lopez is a very, very skilled offensive player, and like he was back to the basket, but damn good. Awesome offensive center. So it makes sense that he would be a guy. It makes sense that Marc Gasol would be a guy who does it. But the fact that like guys like Jan Mahimi are doing it, that Andre Drummond is not making them, yes. but, he's, but he's taking threes, and he literally has made some, it just, it just amazes me that like these bigs are able to do this on a whim. Yeah, I wish this uh, kind of transformation happened like 20 years earlier because then maybe like Georgie Mirson would have like developed yeah. a three and like Manute Bowl, or I guess that would be a little later than him, but or Sean Bradley, some of these guys who are like 7'6", seven, 7'7". Seven, yeah. seven. I bet but, you Yao would have shot threes. Yeah, Yao, yeah, yeah. I bet definitely. you. Yao's so skilled. Definitely. Um, you know, it's funny. Uh, two years ago, we had kind of a – it wasn't as extreme, but it was a similar story with Jason Smith. It was his first year in Washington – and he had made, I think his career high was like three threes in a given season or something like that. He made like 10 through nine years. All of a sudden, he shoots like 40% and makes like 40 threes over the course of a season. And I remember talking to him about it because it was this thing that developed over the course of the season. And he described how, yeah, he's been able to knock down 15 to you know 18 footers in games. In practices, he would hit threes, but he said... It's so underestimated how different it is to do something in practice and in a game, like in a real NBA game when, like, you know your tape is being evaluated. You know the stakes are high. You know your team really needs to win this game. Like, it's a completely different dynamic to go from doing something in practice into a game. So Jan Mihimi, I think even though we, we saw him hit threes – and even though Scott Brooks said that he'd made upwards of like 70 out of 100. Remember remember that number kept going up? Scott yeah. Brooks would be like, oh, yeah, the other day he made 60 out of 100. Oh, the yeah. other day he made 75 out of 100. We're like, wait, I yeah. thought it was 60. Yeah. But, uh, you know, that didn't necessarily mean it was going to happen. I was skeptical. I thought we were going to go this whole season without him hitting a three. I was not betting on Mahimi doing it because it had been 10 years. But he, he broke through that that like invisible barrier that guy, a lot of guys have to break through with a, a new dribble move or a new uh, fadeaway or a, just a new things that they add to their game. Yeah, the beat writers, I was not in on this. Yeah. The right. beat writers had a little, a little wager, a small little wager. wager. Yeah, a friendly wager on whether Yama hit a three this year. So you're eating it right now. Yes. Chris Miller is. Right. Ben Sandig and Candace won it. Yep, Ben Sandig and Candace won it. And it was funny talking to some people who work for the team, like in the front office. You know, I just kind of mentioned that wager. And I remember uh, one of them in particular was like, oh, he's like, what are you talking about? Of course, Jan Mahinmi's going to hit a three. And, you know, here we were, like, what it was it, 14 games into the season? Yeah. And he had attempted two going into this game. And the first one was clanged off to the side of the backboard. So my theory was he would attempt a few, not make them, and then just kind of curl up in his, like, turtle shell and, like, never shoot another one again. But I was wrong. Yeah. Did, did you thought he was going to make one, right? I thought he was going to make one, but yeah. I wasn't in on the bet. But yeah. I, I did think he was going to make one, though. Yeah. I just figure my bet was pure, or my my logic was purely like it's twenty eighteen. 
Like they're all. Well, you got into specifics, right? You had like game situations where you assumed. Yes, like, yeah. I was like, I, I thought the way he was going to make it. Although, like, they were up twenty when he made it. I right. talked about this with Ben. Ben and I had similar logic. I kind of thought like it's going to be a twenty point game. It's going to be like the third quarter. Reserves Didn't are going to be, be the in. first half. Did you? No, I yeah. did not think first half <laughs> because I don't think twenty point lead in the first half. But I was like third quarter, twenty point game. He's going to get a shot. He's going to be open. He's going to put it up, and it's going to go in. It's going to be in like. March and, you know, wherever in some random city and no one's going to care when it happens because it's going to be on the road and there's going to be no pressure on them and it's going to be fine. And so that was my logic. And the blowout part, I was right. The rest was all wrong. But whatever. I wasn't down the bat. You were the one who lost. I didn't lose anything. Uh, I want to talk. Talk Otto Porter Uh, was was really good tonight. You're getting the sounds. Why is someone honking? I don't know. Must have been coming around a corner on a golf cart or something. He's driving a cart in the arena. Uh, Otto Porter didn't play the fourth quarter. The streak continues. Yeah. The streak is alive. This time for uh, reasons that I'm sure the Wizards are very excited about because it was the blowout. So none of the starters played in the fourth quarter. And Porter played 26 minutes. He was super aggressive with the shots early. He went five for six in the field in the first quarter. He had 11 points then. Uh, he played a really nice defensive game. I mean, everyone really played pretty well tonight. I don't think there's anybody to like point out that played egregiously poorly. Uh, and Otto was particularly good. Somehow Dwight Howard was a minus two. Yeah. In the box yeah. Score, though. yeah. He, uh, and, and, and Jan meanwhile was a plus 24, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but with, with Otto, he hadn't played in the fourth quarter in the previous three games. I asked Scott Brooks about a pregame. He wasn't thrilled at all that I asked about. Were you in the postgame? Press he, he brought it up. Well, that's yeah, what I'm bringing you, up. You weren't in the front row, so I, I was looking around. Like, did Fred hear this? Because like, yeah. it is. So, so wait. Let me. So, so I asked him about it, and Scott was not happy that I asked. And Scott's like very personable, and like is never going to go in on someone, but definitely wasn't happy. And then I well, came back. Is he once he noticed the question was happening? He looked like around the room, kind of like almost rolling his eyes, being like, "Here's the auto question." Yeah, you know. And then, and then when I followed up later to ask him about a Troy Brown thing, he, I said, uh, just one more thing on, and he cut me off and went, Otto? Yeah, right, that's right. I was like, no, actually not Otto. Um, but after the game, he was not asked about Otto and brought up Otto not playing in the fourth for the previous three games. And With said an accusatory tone, I might Very have. accusatory tone. He said he thought it was unfair. Uh, the 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 that it was questioned that he didn't play because Otto's a winner and he sacrifices and he doesn't complain. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, so well, he, what he, did you make of Scott bringing that up? When he said it, he I asked the question. It was completely unrelated. It was about John Wall, and he looked at me and he said it was unfair for you to point it out. And I think he was speaking to like the media in general, but clearly it like struck a chord with with. Uh, Scott, because I think he thought we overreacted and were maybe referring to it in too strong of terms. You know, I was definitely someone who, at least on Twitter, maybe in some stories, had mentioned that it was, you know, kind of a benching, benching him in the fourth quarter because uh, there were some, you know, read between the lines opportunities where, you know, it's like Otto, like Keith had earned his spot back. Keith's playing in the fourth quarter, and Scott's talking about guys who are going to play have to play defense. We need better defense. It's like, well, deductive reasoning he's got to be talking about Otto Porter so I thought there was something to it 
you know, I, I think Scott probably didn't like the way that we characterized it. Um, you know, in the media, he thought, you know, maybe Otto would see that and maybe believe that's what the real situation was. Because I think you might have asked him a question like, is there a conversation there? Right. Right. Yeah. So my, my pregame question was when, when Otto's not going to play in three straight fourth quarters, is there a, a conversation there just so he knows where he stands? Right. Um, and I don't think there is. Like, from what, when I asked Yamahimi the other day, like, he said, no, you know, we just kind of – the game's going on, and it's kind of like, oh, I guess I'm not playing tonight, or I right. guess I'm not playing in the fourth and quarter. And Scott – that's what Scott said. Scott yeah. said no. Like, Otto knows and, and then took exception to uh, to the question. And that's that's fine. Like, he, he doesn't have to think that every question that we ask is good. Well, um, well, real quick on that, like – and I don't think they're owed an explanation, but I think I wonder if part of it was like, okay, I'm not giving them the explanation, but Otto might see how these – these dimwits are uh, characterizing it in the media and believe that's the real story. You know, not maybe I'm overthinking it here, but uh, you know, maybe that that's where he wanted to kind of felt like well, he needed to step in and clarify. Yeah. Well, here's my thing. Um, at least with the beat writers, you know, the ones like us who are here every day and talking to people. Um, I think when we ask about things, it can be construed by the people we're asking to as us you know the the term of que- the 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 use of questioning that I mean is not asking to find out an answer, like like we're asking because we disagree, you know. When in reality, yeah. we're asking those questions legitimately just to find an answer because that's our job. We sit there and we ask questions and we want to find them out. But it can be construed as we're asking because we disagree. I discussed it with Ben, so I'm going to speak for him on this podcast. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't – neither of us like disagreed with Scott's decision to sit Otto in the fourth quarter. We thought they were at the very least totally justifiable. Scott had talked so much about wanting to find cohesion um, and, and had wanting – to make some sort of change. Exactly. And like just, just wanting to find cohesion and like some sort of togetherness with lineups. And I think it was very clear what Scott was thinking in those moments. He had – they had – well-played fourth quarters with some lineups that he was going with. And he was like, just like, screw it. I'm going to roll with these lineups. Like Kelly Oubre shot 0 for 5 from the field on uh, Monday when they beat Orlando. But that fourth, that lineup with Kelly Oubre was going really well in the fourth quarter. And Scott was like, I'm just sticking with it. It's working. Like we have some amount of cohesion. So I'm going to just defer to the cohesion, which can be based on like the combination of guys, not just like the one guy who's playing well or the one guy who's not playing well. And I think that is completely, at the very least, justifiable and intelligent logic. Like that's, I have no problem with that. But when a max guy doesn't play in the fourth quarter, like I, I would like to hear about it. Like I would like to hear if that was the reason why. I'm not here to make assumptions. Right. So we don't have to speculate. Exactly. Yeah. So I don't have to be sitting here doing what I just did, <laughs> and so, and so that's why the uh, the questions come. But I think sometimes when they're asked, maybe this is on us from the way that we ask them, uh, they can come across as asking because we disagree. I asking ag- to find out. I agree with that assessment, and I think it might relate to the fact that we've asked so much, really over the past year or two, but really this year. Why does Nando shoot more? Why does Nando get more shots? And we asked John Wall, we asked Scott Brooks. And I think they've been asked enough after games where Otto shoots like five or six times where they're like they, – they think that we're disagreeing with the strategy and we would advocate for him to get more shots. And you could kind of sense that, of course, with John early in the season, John Wall, when he said this is the last time I'm talking about Otto Porter shooting three-pointers because they 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 just kind of assume that it's 
we're implying it's their fault when we know, we know that it's a combination of things and that it's going to be different every night, right? I mean, John and Brad have to get their shots and Otto... Otto is what he is. He, he played really well tonight, by the way. I thought he played really his, well tonight. His, uh, and and during this stretch, was, by was the good. way, when he hasn't played in fourth quarters, he's had some good games. Like, he was really good in Miami. He was yeah. a killer defensively then. Right. He was so good on Dragic. Right. He made their defense the first three quarters. So, like, it's not like he's been bad. He only had seven points in that game, but I thought he was excellent that night. Mm-hmm. Like, he he's had some really good games in this stretch. It's fine. It's just the circumstances have had him not play in the fourth. So, like, again, it's fine. One more thing that I want to add on this. Um, I think one of the reasons why people are asking is because there was all the stuff in Sacramento earlier this year about guys are complaining about their their shots, and Scott specifically named Otto. That's true. As a guy who cares about his shots. And I think that's fine, and I'm not saying what Scott said tonight is wrong. Um, But I I do think when that stuff happens, you know, it's fair to ask. It's right. fair to go and, and follow up in, in those moments. And also it should be noted that John Wall and Bradley Beal are the two best players on the team. And in these fourth quarter situations, Austin Rivers and Jeff Green in particular have been the hot hand. So it's like totally. is, is he really gonna, he's got to find a way to get Jeff Green in there. And Otto Porter, unfortunately, has been the casualty, I guess you could say, in some of these games. But you can't blame Scott if you look at it in, from that perspective. He's got to get Jeff Green on the floor because the guy has started some of these games like five for five, six for six. All right. We've got our heads in the weeds now. Let's, <laughs> I, want, I want to talk big picture for, for a few minutes. Um, they won three in a row. Three in a row against bad teams. They beat Miami. Although I, I, I still kind of don't think Miami's a bad team, even though they're six no, and eight right now. I think they'll right be in now. the playoffs. Yeah. So my, they beat Miami. They beat Orlando at home. And Miami was second night of a back-to-back on the road. I actually think that's a good one. Uh, they beat Orlando at home, and then they killed Cleveland at home. They should beat Orlando at home. And you know what? I'll call a 24-point win a good win. I, I don't care if it comes against arguably the worst team in the NBA. 24-point win. You killed the team. That's a good win. Um, so they've got three straight wins. Two of them are good wins. They've got Brooklyn coming up. Karis LeVert is obviously hurt, and he's their best player. So... Brooklyn all of a sudden looks like a lot easier game. They got Portland coming up. Portland's very good, but that's also at home. Um, do you see signs of them turning this around to some degree? I mean, they're only one one game out of a playoff spot. They are one game out of a playoff Is that what it is now? It yeah, was one, one and a half heading into the night. Yeah. Uh, first, I would say I think this was a good sign because they took care of business against a bad team like they couldn't do so many times last year, and they couldn't. they haven't been able to do so far this year. They won by 24 points, right? I looked it up. Last year, they had three wins of where the point margin was 20 or more points. There were 168 such games in the NBA. So it was relatively rare for them to do that, to just blow out a team like this. And what I mean by that is get to the point where John Wall and Bradley Beal only have to play 21 and 28 minutes. Um, another stat for you, John Wall, this is... The first time the Wizards have won with him playing this few minutes since 2013. That's five years. So it's been rare that they've been able to do that. And I think the the slow start, a lot of it was inexcusable. It was defense and rebounding. A lot of stuff that is attributed to effort. And they were saying it themselves. There wasn't enough effort. But I think uh, it was a really tough schedule, like in hindsight. Like I know they had some nights like against the Heat and the Raptors where they weren't playing their best players, but that was really early. They had to go west early. And I think 
some of those losses don't look as bad as they did at the time. Like the Kings have, I think, looked like an improved team. The Clippers have looked like an improved team. The Clippers, by the way, are just a bad matchup for them. The Grizzlies are better than I thought they were going to be. So three and nine, it's tough to excuse. Um, but the fact that they're stringing together these wins against bad teams, I think, is a a small step, but an important step because this is something that they just couldn't do last year for extended stretches. Now, if they take a, a step back against Brooklyn, then it's going to be same old, same old. But uh, they've got an opportunity right now to right the ship a little bit and, and pack away some wins. And so far, they're taking advantage of it. Yeah, and it really looks like, and this is not necessarily a surprise, it really looks like the, the eighth seed in the East like could really be a bad team. Like, <laughs> yeah. the eighth seed in the East... It wouldn't shock me if the it's in the East was like a 39-win team. Like, you can get in with 39. And the Wizards can get to 39, I think. Like, I think that's a doable thing. Um, so I, I, I don't think, and I don't think this is reactionary, like, I don't think the playoffs are at all gone just because of the 2-9 and nine start. If they're in the West, I would say the playoffs were gone because of the 2-9 and nine yes. start. <laughs> uh, in this case, I, I don't. Because at this point, they could play 500 ball the rest of the year and potentially still get in at the 8. If, you know, right now they're what? They're four below 500. That would get them to 39. Like, that that could plausibly be the eighth seed in the East. The East is that down. So it, it's, it's a real possibility. Yeah, when it comes to making the playoffs and having a decent seed, I think they're fine. I think what we'll ultimately look back on, which has been the story of this team forever, this franchise, but re- honestly, even more so in the John Wall and Bradley Beal era, is just the missed opportunities early. You don't win 50 games in a season and have a start like this where you, you know, let some wins slip away. You know, the the Kings' loss was bad just because they turned it over three times in the last 23 seconds. There were just some inexcusable defeats, either because of the opponent or the way they lost. And, you know, you're probably going to look back. Like, if they get the sixth seed, you're going to look back on this start and say, well, if they had three more wins, they'd be the four seed or something like that. You know, it, it sometimes it's that close at the end. So uh, that's, that's, I think, going to be ultimately the biggest takeaway. But I never thought that it was a situation where they were going to have to break it all down and trade John Wall and Bradley Beal. I never thought it got to that point. Were you ever considering that at all? I'm sure people in your Twitter mentions were. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, mean, I think it's something you look at, honestly. Yeah. Like, I do think it's something you look at, especially with John's contract situation. Like, he's got the Supermax kicking in next year. I think it's something they still should be looking at because from a financial perspective, like, yeah, I think it's a thing that makes sense. John more so than Brad because John's got the Supermax next year and it hasn't even started yet. Um, and, like, it also depends on what you want out of the team. Like, do you want a perpetual 42 to 46 win team, which is what it looks like they are, or do you want to go another direction? So, yeah, I think consider, yeah, like hell bent on happening? No, definitely not. Not even close. Yeah. But consider, yeah, for sure. Uh, anything else from this game that um, like we glossed over and and we should get to? Marquise Morris had three threes, by the way. Mm-hmm. And I know they were all open, and he got all good looks, but he hasn't been shooting great. And him kind of finding the basket, I think, is is a nice thing. One thing that stood out to me was although Colin Sexton had a a, a pretty solid offensive game, 24 points, uh, he shot 9 for 16, hit 2 of 3 from 3, had those four first-half turnovers, and defensively just, I thought, got eaten alive by John Wall. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> John Wall embarrassed him on a few plays. Bradley Beal did, too. Some of the turnovers they forced on him were a little too easy. I think he, he had a much better second half, Colin Sexton, even though he... 
you know, obviously played a lot more in the first half. Um, but it, I thought there were some welcome to the league rookie moments in that game that, um, you know, were probably to be expected. I think he's going to be a really good player, but I thought that was just interesting that this guy who was the eighth overall pick, who clearly has loads of talent and has probably, you know, got all-star potential, um, had a pretty rough go in his first uh, matchup with the Wizards. Yeah, and uh, and this kind of knows a defensive guy, too. Mm-hmm. And, like, you're right. John Wall just, like, toyed with him. In yes. Moments. Like, <laughs> he looked like he looked like he was psyched out by how fast John Wall was. Yeah. He looked like he was trying to guess where he was going and trying to beat him to spots. And then by the time he looked up, Wall was just in a totally different place. And he was like, oh, whoa, that's right. where you're going? Right. I mean, that happened on multiple occasions. Well, we've seen Wall. He looks different than he did in those first few games. Like, I think mm-hmm. he's probably shed a few pounds and is playing himself in the midseason shape and, and rhythm. And when he's at his best, I mean, it's there's nothing that can really prepare you for that speed. You know, it's kind of like uh, – it's not a perfect comparison, but, you know, the first time your team goes up against, like, Cam Newton when he comes in the NFL and, like, you're in practice and, like, who do you have to play the quarterback? Because you don't have anyone on your roster who can recreate that type of element. You know, do you put, like, a cornerback at, at quarterback just so you can, like, prepare for the run, you know, because he's just so fast? It's almost like how are you supposed to prepare for that speed? It's, it's like you're standing in the batter's box like facing 100 miles per hour for the first time. You just – you can't prepare for it until you see it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like playing Michael Vick in uh, Madden 2004. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just outlaw it. Yeah. Just never allowed. And, you know, John Wall, he's had a lot of knee surgeries. Maybe he doesn't have the same exact 40 time or he would have ran when he was 18, 19. But he's still top 1% speed. Uh, in the NBA. So Colin Sexton's going to have to adjust to that. They say adjusting to the speed is part of the biggest thing you have to adjust to coming from college to the NBA. I think John Wall would be an extreme example of that. Yeah. So it's it's like uh, Michael Vick and Madden 06 then. Yes. (laughs) Um, Tell uh, my listeners where they can find your stuff. Uh, Yeah. NBCSportsWashington.com and on Twitter at ChaseUseNBCS. And we'll have to do it again, man. Yeah, of course. Whenever you want, we can do it. Yeah. Um, Subscribe to Wizards After Dark. Give Wizards After Dark a five-star rating. Give it a six-star rating. Invent a (laughs) six-star and give it a six-star rating. Leave a review if you're feeling kind. Tell your friends about Wizards After Dark. Like I always say, I've really enjoyed doing this. It's been really fun. I'm going to keep it up. I'm going to be back on Friday. Oh, and go on The Athletic and check out – it's not there right now as I'm speaking, but I think by the time I upload this podcast, it'll be up. Or very shortly after, uh, I have the definitive oral history of uh, loads of people who are in the building for Jan Mahimi's first career three-pointer that's going to be going up. And, I'm excited uh, about that, by the way. And I'll be – oh, you should be. <laughs> Chase is quoted in it. Uh, and so that'll that'll be going up. It's a solid 850 words of quotes just nice. going through the oral history of Jan Mahimi's first career three. Uh, so that'll be up. And like I said, subscribe to Wizards After Dark and subscribe to The Athletic and you can read my stuff there. Follow me on Twitter at Fred Katz, F-R-E-D-K-A-T-Z. I'll be back on Friday. After the Brooklyn game, I'll talk to you guys then.